You're listening to the Grace Church Podcast, a weekly podcast dedicated to bringing you biblical guidance to life's most important issues. We want to thank you for joining us for this week's message. We pray you find strength and encouragement as we learn from God's truth together. For more information, go to visitgracechurch.com. What is up, Grace Church? It is so good to be here. My name is Kent. I have the great pleasure of serving as the pastor of our Olathe campus. And uh, for those of you who may not be aware, Grace Church is one church, multiple locations. I just want to take a moment to welcome everyone from all of those locations. Maybe you're here in the Overland Park campus. You might be in the venue or in the cafe, in the auditorium. Glad you're here. Welcome. You could be joining us online. And if you are, just want to say welcome to you wherever you are. And for those of you joining us in the Olathe campus, good job. Glad you're there. Miss you. Love you. Can't wait to get back with you next week. Um, I think that covers everybody. All right. So it's good to be here. It's great to be worshiping with you guys this weekend. We're going to continue a series, a study in the book of First Thessalonians. And uh, so if you need a Bible, if you need a service handout, if you need a pen, something to write with, uh, just lift up your hand. Somebody will be coming by shortly uh, to take care of you with that. Also, if you wouldn't mind, in the service handout that you have, there's a tear-off portion. We call that our Connect card. If you wouldn't mind filling that out, we ask every household every week to fill out a Connect card and drop it in the offering basket uh, a little later on in the service. <clears throat> now, uh, just a heads up, and I know we uh, already mentioned this once, but want to do it one more time. Today's message has a PG-13 rating. Uh, so there is a portion of the passages that we're going to be looking at today that deals with sexuality. In fact, a great majority of the per, per, uh, passage that we're going to be looking at deals with sexuality. So if you have kiddos in the room that you would prefer not be here for that, and I recommend that they not be here for that, uh, then you may want to go and check them in. Take an opportunity right now to go check them into Grace Kids. And we have a great uh, ministry down there to our kids. We've got a lot of great people down there who love to take care of them and minister to them. Um, if you've never checked anyone into Grace Kids before, you can just stop by the Welcome Center and they will help you out with that. So in order to kill just a little bit of time to allow for that to take place, I'll tell you a little story about something that happened with me this week. Um, you know, this message that I'm going to be speaking today, I was completely done with it over a week ago. And I kind of set a false deadline for myself because I knew this this past week I was going to be out of town a couple days and was running into some things. So I thought, man, I'm just going to get done with it. I was done with it. I was excited that I was done with it so early, but I wasn't excited about where I was going. I wasn't excited about the outline. Something was off. Something was missing. I kept telling the Lord that, like, Lord, something is is not right here. I mean, there's good illustration. There's a good kind of pace to it, but there's something just not right. And so this past Wednesday... Uh, my wife and I, we were gathering, our first gathering actually, with our grace group, our brand new grace group that we started uh, in Olathe. And uh, so we we're having our first meeting on Wednesday night. And in that session, we were, were going through a series called Community. Um, and it's a series by Andy Stanley called Community, um, Starting Well in Your Small Group. And in that video for that first session, this phrase popped up on the screen. And when that phrase popped up, the Lord said to me in my spirit, he said, hey, look, there's your outline. And I said, no, <laughs> my outline's already done. I mean, I've, I've got this already done. I know I'm not satisfied with it, but I didn't want to like totally rehaul it. Um, I just wanted to tweak it a little bit. And uh, I had this bantering back and forth with a little bit with the Lord. And at the end of that back and forth, you know what the Lord said to me? Hey, look, there's your outline for this weekend. <laughs> so 
<clears throat> the Lord won that one, as he does always. And uh, so uh, this is the outline that I'm going to be sharing with you today. And I just want to say, Andy, uh, Mr. Stanley, sir, if you're watching online, which I'm sure that you probably are, um, sorry, I stole your stuff. I ganked it. So, uh, and thank you. Good stuff. So, um, this morning we are carrying on with a uh, series that we are right in the middle of. It's called The Pioneer Spirit. And we're talking about the pioneer spirit that's necessary for making disciples. And if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus, uh, that is what your life is all about. The life of a Christian is the life of disciple making. We ourselves are becoming more and more disciples of Christ as we grow in our faith. And then we are turning and looking for others that we can help know Christ and help them grow in their faith. That's what the Christian life is all about. And that's what we've been looking at in the book of First Thessalonians. And we have looked at three chapters. We're actually going to be starting chapter four today. First Thessalonians is actually a letter that was written from the Apostle Paul and his co-ministers Silas and Timothy. And it was to a church in a town called Thessalonica, northern Greece, where they planted a church. And you can see the story in Acts chapter 17. They planted a church and then were promptly run out of town. There was a riot over the things that they were teaching. They were run out of town. Uh, they went all the way to Athens in southern Greece. And after a while, they just wanted to know, man, I wonder what's going on with this fledgling church, uh, this church plant that we've done. I wonder if they're doing okay. So they sent Timothy back. He got a report came back to Athens, and then he gave him a report about what was going on. And it was a great report. The church is doing well. They're growing. Things are going good. So we've been looking at, in the first three chapters of this letter, uh, some ideas around the, the concept of making disciples. And we talked about literally what it means to make a disciple. How do we do that? Uh, we've looked at uh, developing someone spiritually who has become a disciple. We've also looked at how to handle spiritual opposition that comes with being a disciple. And then last week, Tim talked about uh, supporting others who are suffering as a disciple. Today, we're going to begin chapter 4 by looking at how to grow deeper with God as a disciple. And here is the main truth, the central truth for the day that I want you to get down. You can write this down in your notes. Being a disciple is not a destination. It is a lifelong process of growth. Being a disciple is not a destination. It's a lifelong process of growth. Spiritual maturity is not a point in time. It's not a place that we get to. We don't finally arrive at spiritual maturity. It's not that. It's like physical fitness. You don't just wake up one day and say, well, done, fit for life. I'm good to go. No, you know there's another day coming. There's another day of growth. We have to keep reinvesting and keep going. Growing deeper in our relationship with God has no ultimate depth to it. There's still more depth to go in a relationship with God. You don't bottom out in that. It's kind of like my relationship with my wife, Kim. There's always a deeper level of intimacy. There's always a deeper level of connection that we can go to in our relationship. There's not a day where I just wake up one day and say, well, we're done. We've gone as far as we can go in this relationship. What's next? No, that's not how it goes. There's always more. There's always something else. Today, we're going to see that disciples growing are growing deeper with God in three vital areas. And, and here's the outline that I stole. Three vital areas, three vital relationships, and that's intimacy with God, community with insiders, and influence with outsiders. 
You don't have to write those down. I'll give you a chance to do that in a second. Uh, We're going to spend the rest of our time uh, today looking into these three vital relationships. Let's pray, and then we'll jump into the passage together. So, Lord, we are thankful to be with you. We're thankful to know that, God, you want to be with us. Jesus, it's your desire to meet with us. It's your desire uh, to meet with every single heart. And I know every single heart came into this this gathering um, with an expectation. Every single heart came into this gathering with a need, a place in which you need to do work. And whether we've come in broken, whether we've come in hurting, or we've come in encouraged and strengthened, there's still work that you need to do in us. And so, God, I pray that you would do that work, that we would leave here being better for having come together and worshiped you. God, do the work that only you can, and we ask you to do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So let's start here in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. We're going to start in verse number 1. It says, Finally then, brothers... Finally then, so Paul and Silas and Timothy, they're going to wrap up this this letter, right? Now, we still have two chapters to go in the letter, but they're wrapping things up with a little bit of encouragement, a little bit of instruction. He says, finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you have received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you're doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. So Paul and Silas and Timothy, they're going to wrap this, this letter up by, by cheerleading this church, this fledgling church that they planted. And they got this good report from, man, they've heard good things. Timothy came back and he said, man, this church is doing great. And so he's writing to them. He's saying, man, we've heard good things about you. Sounds like you're doing good. We want to urge you. We want to encourage you to keep going, keep growing, keep walking with the Lord, keep pleasing him, keep following the instructions that Jesus has given you. Keep doing it. You're doing wonderful. Now, I think I can speak on behalf of all of the leadership of Grace Church. When I say to you, Grace, you're doing great. God is doing an amazing thing here. God is at work in Grace Church. There is exciting stuff going on. You're doing a wonderful job. Keep going. I urge you. Keep going. Keep growing. Keep doing a good thing. Those of you in Olathe, look, man, you started a campus We have successfully, wildly successfully launched our first ever campus, multi-site campus at Grace Church. It's amazing what God's doing. And that's awesome. Keep going, keep growing because we're not done. That's one. We got 99 more to go in 20 years. There's still more growth to happen. There's still more to do. There's more to do. God has more to do with us as individuals and God has more to do with us as a church. You're doing great. Keep going. Keep growing, keep moving, because being a disciple is not a destination. It is a lifelong process of growth. Now, the first vital relationship that we need to keep growing deeper in, and you can write this down in your notes if you're taking them, it is our intimacy with God. Our intimacy with God. In fact, this is the foundation. It's the most vital of the vital relationships. If you're not growing in this relationship, chances are you are just not growing. This is where it all begins. This is where it all starts. Let's pick it back up in verse number three. 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse number three. They say, for this is the will of God. This is what God wants. This is his desire. This is God's will. 
your sanctification. Your sanctification. Now, sanctification is not a word that we use very often. It's an old English word. It means to be set apart to God. To be set apart to to God. To be made holy. To become like Jesus. And sanctification is a lifelong process. It didn't happen in a moment. You weren't fully sanctified. If you're a Jesus follower and there was a moment in time where you asked Jesus Christ to become your Lord, to become your Savior, where you asked him to forgive you of your sins and to come into your life, what happened in that moment is you were justified. God justified you. He made it just as if you'd never sinned. He he brought you into his family. He prepared a home for you in heaven. You were justified in that moment. Now, the rest of your life here on earth, you are going to be sanctified. Sanctification is this process of growing in Christ, becoming more and more like Jesus every day, more today than you were yesterday, more tomorrow than you were today. Sanctification is a lifelong process. It's not only a lifelong process, it's an inside out process. Sanctification isn't trying your best to be holy. Sanctification isn't trying your best to do your best Jesus impersonation on the outside. It's not an outside in endeavor. It's an inside out endeavor. Sanctification is God changing you in such a way on the inside that you are manifesting who you, who Jesus is on the outside. That's God's will. That's what he wants. His desire is our holiness, is our sanctification. And sanctification is the product of an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. Sanctification isn't uh, based on some formula, something. If I go to church a certain amount of times, if I give a certain amount of money, if I do this, if I serve here, that's not what it's about. Sanctification happens as you become intimate with God. You are transformed into his image. That's how it happens. And that's God's will. And so understanding that might help us to understand the rest of this verse. So this is God's will, your sanctification. Look what he goes on to say. That you abstain from sexual immorality. Huh. Okay, I might have gone a different way with that. Hey, this is God's will, your sanctification. Now keep reading your Bible. Keep praying. Uh, go to church, be, get, gather with other believers, uh, get in a grace group. I mean, I might have went a different way with that. The, the way they went is abstain from sexual immorality. Here's what sanctification looks like. Here's how it's manifested when you're not sinning sexually. Okay. Well, I think there might have been a couple of reasons. One of them is very obvious as we get through the rest of this passage. But I think there might have been a couple of reasons that they might have went this direction. One of them is I think they were trying to address the culture of the day. They were trying to address the culture that this Thessalonian church would have been surrounded by, would have grown up in. See, there would have been very a very short list of things in first century Greco-Roman culture that would have been considered sexually immoral. In fact, sexuality and morality, those were concepts that didn't really come together much in first century Greco-Roman culture. In fact, what God called sexual moral or immorality, they just called normality. This is just normal life. This is just how the culture, this is what we do, this is how we roll. The thought that God had designed sex for a specific purpose or that he had designed it to be held in a specific context, that would have been foreign thinking to this culture. They wouldn't have understood that. See, Paul is saying to follow the teachings of Jesus, to be a disciple who's growing more and more, 
becoming more and more like Christ, becoming more into his image, to do that might mean that you're going to be swimming against the current of culture. You might not be popular. The teachings of Jesus are countercultural at times. And it might, you might not be in the in crowd. In fact, people might look at you a little strange. People might think you're odd. Your beliefs, your understanding of what things are. People aren't going to agree with you. I think he was preparing them for that culture. See, Jesus' teaching on sexuality, it was simple too. It was really simple. It was a very short list also. It was have sex, lots of it, with your spouse. Have sex, lots of it. Married people, you should be having lots of sex. It's, it's designed by God. It's a good thing. Lots of it with your spouse. There's a context for marriage. Or marriage. There's a context for sex. There's a context for sexuality. See, Jesus' teaching was simple. It was this. One man, one woman, in marriage, for life. That was the teaching of Jesus on sex. It was simple. And it was controversial. It was simple and it was counterculture. It was simple and it was misunderstood. Why would, why, why? <laughs> the culture asks. That seems absurd. That seems archaic. That seems very prudish. I don't understand. See, perhaps there's actually something more to our sexuality than just the physical act of sex. Maybe there's more to it than just procreation or pleasure. Check out verses 4 and 5. First Thessalonians 4 and verse 4, it says that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who know not God or who do not know God. He says, control your body in holiness and honor. There's a connection between our sexuality and holiness. Sex is the physical picture of the intimate spiritual relationship that Jesus Christ desires to have with every single person that he created. And it's in that intimate relationship that he makes us holy. That's what God's calling us to. And sex is a reflection of that relationship, that oneness, that intimacy. Sexuality is connected to our souls. It's not just physical. There is an emotional connection. There's a deep soul connection, and it's powerful, and it's designed that way by God. It's by intent. It's about oneness. In fact, we see this from the very beginning, the very first two people that God ever created, Adam and Eve. And yes, there was a physical aspect to sexuality. He said, be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, right? Procreate. But there was another aspect to it. If you look at the back of the, the, the end of Genesis chapter 2, you see that Adam sees his wife and he's like, wow, this, this is now bone of my bone. This is flesh of my flesh. That's why God said to them right there, this is why a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall adhere or become one with or cleave unto his wife. It's about oneness. The two shall become one flesh. In Ephesians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul says that's a great mystery. But it reflects the relationship between Christ and his church. There's more to it. Sex is a gift. It's meant to connect us at a soul level. It's reflecting what God desires to have with us. A deep soul connection with us that transforms us and changes us. It's a gift. 
But like so many of God's gifts, we've broken it and we've abused it. As a result, our souls are broken. We damage our ability to be truly intimate. We damage our ability to be truly intimate with God. We damage our ability to be truly intimate with other people. Paul addressed this situation with the church at Corinth also. In the letter he wrote to them in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 18. He says, flee, run, danger, get away, go as far away as you can from this. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside of the body. What he means by that is, hey, there's other sins that you might commit other than sexual immorality that uh, will have consequences to it that are physical consequences. We lie, we cheat, we steal. Those things have consequences outside the body. But look what he says. But the sexual immoral person sins against his own body. You're sinning against your own soul when you sin sexually and possibly the souls of others. We do damage at deep levels and in some cases in ways that will have an effect on us for the rest of our life. Some of our biggest regrets in this life are tied to our sexual sin. Why? Because it affects our souls. For many of us, sexual sin was perpetrated against us. We're victims of someone else's sexual immorality. And it's done damage, not just physically, to our psyche, to our soul, to our emotional state. Many of us are still trying to shake off the emotional effects of sexual abuse or sexual betrayal. Some of us have carried unprocessed emotional issues and wounds from the past into our current relationships. Some of us, because we were either sinned against or we sinned sexually, have brought that into our marriage relationships. And now, because we've not processed it, we have not dealt with it, we've not brought it to the cross, we've not allowed Jesus to heal us. Because we haven't, now we're dealing with intimacy issues in our marriages For some of you, in your singleness, you're not married, but in your singleness, you're struggling in your singleness. You're trying to adhere to the teachings of Jesus. You're trying to abstain from sexuality because you understand that was designed for marriage. So you're trying to follow his teachings, but because of some things in your past that you haven't processed yet, you haven't worked out, you haven't brought to Jesus either sin against you or sin that you've committed, you're struggling in your intimacy with God and you're struggling to follow him. Can I just encourage you, if you've, if that's your situation, man, talk to someone. Go find someone. Get a counselor. Get someone who's experienced in this and let them help you walk through some things. Let them help lead you to the one who can heal you. Here's the reality. A great number of us, if not all of us, have been damaged in some way through sexual immorality. But here's the greater reality. Here's the good news. The good news is is that there's hope in the cross of Jesus. There's hope in the cross. There's hope in what Jesus did. There's grace for sexual sin. There's grace for every sin, but there's grace for sexual sin. This is what Jesus died for. His blood paid for an intimate connection with you and me. 
And whether we are broken or not, whether there's been sin done to us or we've committed sexual sin, God can heal us. The cross can restore us. The cross is Jesus' way of saying, I want you. I don't care how broken you are. I know how broken you are. And in your brokenness and in your sin, I still died for you because I want you. I love you. And I want to restore you to intimacy with me. Look what it says in verse number six through eight. He says that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this manner. Hey, don't, don't take advantage. Don't wrong. Don't sin against your brother in this manner. Because the Lord, check this out. The Lord is an avenger in all these things. The Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we have told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. I bet many of you didn't realize that the Lord was one of the avengers. He's one of the avengers. No, no, he's not one of the avengers. He's the ultimate avenger. He's the ultimate avenger. All the avengers, all the avengers combined don't possess the power that he has. There is no holes in this Avengers game. There's no weaknesses. There's no chinks in his armor. He is fully equipped to avenge all who are broken. He is fully equipped to avenge our brokenness through the cross. He is our rescuer. Have you sinned against someone else sexually? You have an Avenger. Have you been sinned against? You have an Avenger, a rescuer, a healer. He is our avenger in all these things. He restores you. In verse number seven, he says, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. This is what God's calling us to. He's calling us to holiness. He's calling us to oneness, to intimacy with him. Therefore, whoever disregards this, check this out. If you disregard God's calling to holiness, you disregard God's desire, his will for sanctification, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God. Look, you disregard my command for sexual purity. You're not disregarding other people. You're disregarding me. You're disregarding the very reason I died for you. This picture that you're corrupting is the very reason I bled my blood and broke my body so I could have intimacy with you. You're not disregarding other people. You're disregarding the cross. You're disregarding the very reason Jesus came and died. See, being a disciple, it's not a destination. It is a lifelong process of growth, and it begins in an intimate relationship with God. That's the first vital relationship. Second vital relationship is this. Community with insiders. Community with insiders. We need to have intimacy with God and then we need to have community with insiders. The natural response of intimacy with God is love. When you're being changed into the image of God on the inside, the natural response on the outside is love, to love others. If I'm loving God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength, the natural response to that is to love others because God is love. And if I'm being changed into his image, that's what's gonna come out on the outside. In verse number nine, he says, now concerning brotherly love, and when he says brotherly love, he's talking about the love that takes place within uh, the framework of faith, within the framework of the church, right? Insiders. Concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. He says, hey, man, you guys have got this down. You, you guys have an intimate relationship with Christ. It's obvious when we look at you, we can see the love that you have for each other. 
You're known for it. In fact, disciples who are growing and becoming more and more intimate with God, we don't have to be told to love other people. It just is who we are. I don't have to wake up in the morning and say, okay, man, I really need to focus on loving people today. I need to make sure when I get to work that I'm loving people, that I'm, I'm treating people right, that I'm loving well. Now, when I go home, I want to make sure I'm loving my wife and my kids. I want to make, I don't have to tell myself that. Here's what I need to do. I need to get intimate with Jesus Christ. And when I do that, there is a change in me that happens. And I don't have to try to love. I just become love. And the natural response for me is to love other people. I don't have to think about it. I don't have to be told to do it. I just, that's who I am. That's how it works. He says, for indeed, in verse number 10, for that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. Look, it's not just in Thessalonica that you're known. It's like the entire region. You guys are a love fest, man, and everyone is benefiting from this. Everyone can see it. But we urge you, brothers, do this more and more. You haven't arrived yet. You're doing great. You're loving other people. You've got a great reputation. Keep going. There's more love to be had, more to be given away. This church was known for their love. Brotherly love is a sign of a healthy church. Brotherly love is a sign that we are followers of Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus said it this way in John chapter 13. He said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this All people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Are we recognized as disciples of Jesus because of the love that we have for each other? Is that obvious? Is that clear? Is that tangible? Is that seen without being told? What do you think the sense is? When you come into church, when you come into Grace Church, do you get a sense that there's love in this place? Do you get a sense when you're, when you go into Prairie Creek Elementary in Olathe and you walk through the doors, do you forget that you're in an elementary school because you're overwhelmed with the love, the sense of love that's in that place? Man, if you're a guest here, this is my hope for you. If this is your first time here, and I don't know how you got here, but we're glad that you're here. We hope you come back. We hope today's been encouraging and a blessing to you. But man, you may not agree with anything that we've said today. You may not even believe there is a God. You're not a Jesus follower. You're not a Bible person. That's awesome. We're still glad. Well, it's not awesome, but we're glad that you're here. We're glad that you're here. But listen, I hope the one thing you do walk away with today is a sense of overwhelming love in this place. I pray that you sense that there's a bunch of people here who love God, a God that I may or may not believe in, but they seem to love him a lot. And they seem to love each other. I don't know what they've got going on in there, but I think I want some of that. I like that. Are you growing in your community with insiders because of your connection with God in an intimate level? See, if we're growing in our intimacy with God, we'll be growing in our community, uh, or in our, in our, in our community with insiders, and then there'll be a natural next level to that, a next vital relationship that'll just naturally take place, and that is our influence with outsiders. We will have a natural influence on outsiders, and when I say outsiders, I mean those who are outside the faith. So we talked about insiders, those who are inside the faith, now we're talking about outsiders, those who are outside of the faith, outside of the church. Look what he says in verse number 11. He says, and aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs, to work with your own hands as we instructed you so that you may walk 
properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. He says to them, he's urging them, hey, live peaceably. Hey, live a good life. Mind your own business. Don't gossip. Don't be a busybody. Work hard. Don't be lazy. Don't depend on someone else. Don't be indebted to someone else to live life. Do your own work. Do your own business. Live a life with integrity. Is that what people see in us? See, because this is the process of growth. If we're intimate with God, we're having community with insiders, the natural response is we should have influence with outsiders. We're living a life of holiness. We're living a life of integrity. We don't have shady business deals. We're honest. We give the extra change back to the one who gave us too much at the convenience store. Our testimony is worth more than that. We live with integrity. You know what it is? People see it. The outsiders see it. You know what happened with the early church in Thessalonica? Not just in Thessalonica, the early church of the first century. They exploded in growth. They had massive explosion despite massive persecution. And you know why? Because the outsiders started looking at the Jesus communities and started saying, huh, I don't agree with pretty much anything that they're saying, but there's something about those people. They love each other. And their commitment to the God that they're claiming, man, it's full on. I mean, they're passionate. And they love each other. And you know what? It's attractive. They weren't repelled. Christians weren't repugnant. They weren't like, oh, man. Yeah, I work with one of those Christians, and it's just, oh, my gosh. No, they were attractive. Hey, look, I don't know what you got going on, but I want some. And it began to compel people to come in and the church exploded. Man, I pray that's us. I pray that outsiders looking into Grace Church, they see love. They see people who are wholly committed to Jesus Christ in an intimate relationship with him. They see people who are wholly committed to each other as a result. And it's attractive. Are you growing deeper with God? Are you growing in the three vital relationships, intimacy with God, community with insiders, influence with outsiders? I hope you are, because if you are, we're going to keep growing together as a church. And to do the things that God's calling us to do, we have to keep going. I urge you, brothers and sisters, keep going, keep growing, keep pursuing the Lord. Walk and please God. And if you're here, if you're watching online, if you're at one of our other venues and you're an outsider, you're outside the faith, you're outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ, you don't know God in that way, you're outside of the experience of the hope that you can have in Jesus, you're outside of the experience of Christ's love and acceptance and forgiveness. Can I just tell you that Jesus is inviting you in the cross was Jesus opening up his arms and saying, come on in. This is the doorway to come inside. He's inviting you into a relationship with him. He loves you. He wants you. you. You may not agree with everything he's teaching, but you may agree with this, that right now you're broken, you're hurting, you're in need. You need an avenger. And he wants to rescue you. 
All you need to do in this moment right now is just look to Jesus, to pray. You say, well, I've never prayed before. Well, just say it in your heart, say it in your mind, say it out loud with your lips, but tell Jesus, because he's listening to you right now. Jesus, I'm broken. I'm broken. I know I've broken your heart. I've broken your laws. I've broken your rules. I'm guilty of sin. I'm asking you to forgive me of my sin. I'm asking you to become my Lord. I'm asking you to become my Savior. Rescue me. The moment that you do that, there's a promise from God that says he will meet you with grace and forgiveness and he will give you the gift of his Holy Spirit. Ask him right now. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we are indebted to you. You told us not to be indebted to others, but may we be indebted to you. We are indebted to you. God, we, we owe you our lives. Thank you for being our avenger. Thank you for being our rescuer. Thank you, God, for healing what is broken in us. Thank you, God, that none of us are too far from you. None of us are too far gone. There's, there's nothing that's, that we've gone past some line somewhere that you can't restore and that you can't heal and that you can't bring us back from. God, thank you that you want us. You want to be intimate with us. You want a close, soul-mingling relationship. That, and that's what you died for. And God, forgive me of the times that I'm not giving you what you paid for in blood. My heart, my soul, my life. Thank you for your great love. Thank you, God, for your goodness and kindness. And thank you for these who have gathered to worship. May you help us to keep growing more and more as we follow our Lord Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we ask. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you have questions or would like to contact us for prayer, please email us at info at visitgracechurch.com. For more information about our ministries, location, and service times, go to visitgracechurch.com.